This is Nina Totenberg in Washington from National Public Radio. At the 50th anniversary of Brown versus the Board of Education, I did a three-part series about how the Supreme Court decided that case. It took us through two chief justices, the personalities of the justices who then sat on the court, what their concerns were, what was going on in the country at the same time, the desire for secrecy because this was such a red-hot issue, and then, to a very limited extent, what happened afterwards. And are there things that you just fundamentally didn't realize and that our readers and listeners won't have realized about Brown versus Board that you just discovered in this process? I interviewed every living law clerk who had worked on these cases since all of the justices are dead. Also, most of their notes are now available in the Library of Congress. I actually held in my hand Earl Warren's first draft on yellow legal paper of the first Brown versus the Board decision, which was an amazing experience with all of his things crossed out and words added in. And we actually photographed it and put it on our, our website. Um, and there were zillions of things I didn't know from the conversations that President Eisenhower had with Chief Justice Warren at a formal dinner where he seemed to be sort of vaguely lobbying him and deeply offended Warren, to the trip that Warren took to Gettysburg while he was contemplating this decision and how he stayed at a motel and never thought about where his driver, his black driver, would stay. And when he came out and found him in the morning sleeping in the car, was simply mortified, embarrassed, beyond belief, and immediately went back to Washington instead of continuing on with his trip. He was just horrified at his own insensitivity. Then also, people should remember that for most of the time in which the court was considering Brown versus the Board of Education with Earl Warren as Chief Justice, which was, in fact, the second time the court had considered it, it had asked for the case to be re-argued. And in the interim, the then Chief Justice, Chief Justice Vinson, died, and Earl Warren was appointed to take his place, but he was not confirmed. He was a recess appointment. He was not confirmed, I, I believe, until March. So most of the work he was doing on this case was occurring at a time when he had not yet been confirmed. And it didn't seem to bother him at all. He just plowed on. And he was utterly certain about the direction in which he was going. I also learned a lot about Earl Warren. I mean, this was a man who'd been elected numerous times to statewide office in California. The last time he was elected governor, he was on both the Democratic and Republican tickets. He was the quintessential can-do person, perhaps not a legal scholar the way we think of somebody immersed in the minutia of certain kinds of things, but everybody loved Earl Warren. Uh, one of the law clerks said to me that, former law clerks said to me that 
When Earl Warren arrived at the court, it was as if the sun came out. And it, so I learned just the most enormous amount about individual members of the court, including Justice Jackson, who had grave concerns about going in this direction, but in the end was persuaded it was the right thing to do, and who died not long thereafter. All the steps that Earl Warren took to protect the secrecy of the decision so that he personally delivered the drafts to individual justices. I think a couple of his law clerks also delivered them. One, I think, delivered him to a draft to Justice Black on the, on the tennis court. Um, it's just a phenomenal story. And it has all the drama of a great drama. Fantastic. I know that a lot of our readers and listeners will have heard the pieces originally and will enjoy them again. And for the others who haven't, uh, they're tremendous. Thanks so much. Thank you.